Welcome to the Small Baller Podcast. My name is Trevor Reddick, and as always, I'm joined by a man who forgot that tomorrow was Valentine's Day. Brand Siegel, how you doing? I'm doing well. I pray Kayla is listening to this. I did kind of remember it was Valentine's Day, and Trevor's alluding to something that I'm going to get into in a little bit as to why he thought I forgot it was Valentine's Day. But, you know, you know, I, I, got, it, I got it covered, okay? Kayla, I got it covered if you're listening. She's probably not listening. But if she, at the, the small change she is listening, I got it covered. We're all good. Um, but we have an exciting episode today. We have two little announcements, which I'll get to in a second. But first, let's introduce, of course, the third member of our podcast, Ben O'Brien. Benny, how are you today? Uh, very stressful day coming up. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're recording on Super Bowl Sunday. I, I'm very nervous. I, I don't know. I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic. I'm, 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 it's a great time to be alive. But of course. I haven't felt like this in a while. I'm, I'm very, very nervous. I've said for two, you know, two, the last two Bengals games that this is the most, the biggest game of my life. This is by far the biggest sporting event of my life. I'm, I'm, I have a lot, lot riding on this. I'm very, very nervous. And, you know, Benny, no matter what, it's a win on the season collectively. But, well, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. We do have two small announcements I want to get into. The first thing is, as you guys are looking uh, at the podcast start and listening to this episode, we did alter the podcast start a little bit. It's past due. We included Benny in on the podcast start. Um, Ben's been here since the start of this podcast. We thought I was only right. We don't need to make a big deal about it, but Ben, we just wanted you to be on the podcast start. We thought it was important to both of us. Uh, big thank you to Taylor, my sister, uh, for making the art she made. The first art... Um, Really, if you guys are OG listeners, I made the very first art, but that one wasn't so good. Uh, ben, where would you rate that first uh, podcast art? It was garbage. I was embarrassed to be associated. It wasn't with great. It. it wasn't great. But I learned Photoshop, okay. and then and then then we hired the professional known as my sister Taylor. And then the second podcast art, I mean, that was pretty good. That one was pretty good. And of course, now we have our third version, adding Ben into the picture. So all three of us are in there. That's announcement number one. Um, but Ben, we're very happy to have you on the art. It's it's way past you. Def- definitely. Announcement number two. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead I, I was just gonna say definitely some upgrades. It's clear that uh, your parents had one child who wasn't artistic or creative, <laughs> and then it, it balanced out because the other child w- is very creative and artistic. Yes. Yeah. yeah she's absolutely. she's incredibly talented. Hopefully she's listening to this. Thank you so much, Taylor. You you do great work. Um. Last announcement, we're not going to talk an enormous amount about the Super Bowl today because we are recording this before the Super Bowl. However, we're coming out with a bonus episode. I think it'll be Tuesday night. I think that's what we're aiming for. That'll be exclusively about the Super Bowl. Uh, won't be super duper long, only like 15, 20, maybe 25 minutes, maybe 30 if you know we, we really talk it up. Especially if the Bengals win, I think Ben will have a lot of thoughts. Oh, um, oh yeah. So that'll be a fun episode. Uh, just gonna be a little bonus episode. It'll be released this week, uh, so stay tuned for that. But let's get into our episode today. Starting off with the NA, uh, the NFL. I was about to say the NHL. It's on my mind. Hockey's on my mind. Uh, but uh, NFL here. We had NFL honors. Uh, we don't need to necessarily go through every single award. Uh, but Ben, I'm gonna start off with you because me and you have a pickle with one of these awards. And I'm gonna preface: all these awards are stupid. Okay. Like it's it's this is a stupid thing to be upset about, but I, I you know I'm upset about it, Ben, because it wasn't right. Uh, why don't you talk to me a little about the coach of the year, Mike Vrabel? So here's the thing, and again, I, I I texted you guys like it's such a stupid award, and I'm not gonna let it like like it's not gonna ruin my my week or anything. But the fact that I don't really care that Mike Vrabel won, whatever, that's fine. Okay, they were projected to have ten wins, they got eleven this year. Congratulations, you're clearly the greatest coach of all time. Okay, <laughs> that's fine, whatever. But the fact that Zach Taylor got two votes out of like 50 or 60 or however many it is, I think is ridiculous. 
And again, I'm not the one voting. I don't really know what the requirements are. But in my opinion, and I've probably said this before, but in my opinion, the coach of the year should probably be somebody that exceeded expectations by a good amount. Not by one freaking game. You were projected with 10, you won 11. Also, they won like 10 games last year or whatever. It's not a big deal. Zach Taylor took a four-win team, projected to win six games, and they won 10, and now they're in the Super Bowl. Whatever. Um, so clearly I'm heated about it, but really, really, like, I don't care that much. I just think it's ridiculous the way the voting shaked out because I think it was Rabel won, and then... I think it was the Packers guy, LaFleur, got a bunch of votes, and then Zach Taylor got two, and then I think somebody else got one, or Belichick got one or two or whatever. Um, so it's just ridiculous that, yeah, the guy with Aaron freaking Rodgers in a, in, a, in a good defense got a bunch of votes, and the guy with Derrick Henry um, that already had a good team coming and got a bunch of votes, and then Zach Taylor, who going into this year, we had no freaking idea how good the Bengals were going to be. He exceeded expectations, but whatever. I mean, again, it's not a huge deal. Um, it's not an award that that you go, oh, the 20, remember, the, he's the 2022 coach of the year. Like, it's not really a, a big thing that is going to go on your your resume or anything. But it's just something to note, and it's something that made me a little upset A little upset for the, the five minutes afterwards on Thursday night and now for the last two minutes that I've been complaining about it now. You know, Ben, I will not, you're being too nice. I will not stand for this. We need to change the coach of the year voting. It should be the coach whose team is projected to do X amount of wins and exceeds it by a ton. It shouldn't be who gets the most wins. I don't want it to be that award. It's not impressive to be projected to win 10 games and then win 11. It's incredibly impressive to have won, what was it, four games the year before? Projected to win seven, and they ended up winning 10. And now they're in the Super Bowl. Zach Taylor deserves this award. And if we're being honest, there's other coaches that are also deserving. I think, I mean, maybe I'm biased, John Harbaugh deserved this award. I mean, the Ravens are projected to, to be one of the top finishers in the division, and they didn't do that. But they also were demolished with injuries. I mean, completely obliterated. Um, the Raiders head coach, I'm not going to butcher his name, so I'm not going to say it. He got a couple votes. Th- that team was in shambles. They lost their normal head coach. Their star receiver is probably never going to leave jail. Um, and, I mean, they were in complete shambles. And they made the playoffs. Yeah. In in one of the harder divisions in sports with the Chargers, with the, the Chiefs in it. Um, I guess the Broncos aren't that good. But it's still a tough division, uh, to say the least. Uh, Zach Taylor should have won this award. I will not be silent about this. Um, but I guess that's enough for that specific part of this topic. Trevor, is there anything you want to mention about these awards or anything else about the NFL before we kind of move on? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about the awards. Um, Aaron Rodgers won the MVP. I think he deserved it. As far as the coach, I think you guys are right. Um, I don't care as much as you guys do, but I do think Zach Taylor deserved it. Uh, when you I'm passionate your, about this, Trevor. When you improve your win total by as much as he did, I, I, I just think you got to give it to him. Like, and, and I agree, like, Harbaugh should be in the mix. Um, you know, certainly Vrabel is up there. He's certainly top three, but I, I do agree that Zach Taylor should have won. Um, I like I was, you know, glad to see that Joe Burrow won Comeback Player of the Year. I thought he did deserve that. It was really between well him and uh, Zach Prescott, but Burrow got it well-deserved. Uh, good to see that. And, you know, you got, you got a couple other awards in there. You got Jamar Chase winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. You got T.J. Watt winning Defensive Player of the Year, Cooper Cup winning Offensive Player of the Year, which really, it seems like, you know, you have the Most Valuable Player Award that's kind of a quarterback award, and then you have the Offensive Player of the Year Award that seems to often go to a wide receiver or maybe occasionally a running back. So it's just interesting how, like, these uh, the titles of these awards seem to go to a certain position. I think that's kind of interesting. Very, very. All right, well, we'll move on from the NFL. Um, we'll have plenty more to talk about the Super Bowl and recapping and everything uh, in our little Super Bowl uh, bonus episode. Again, coming out on Tuesday. 
um, at some point in time that night. So stay tuned for that. It'll be a really great episode. Let's move on here to college basketball. Um, and a lot of interesting topics, Trevor. I'm going to, of course, pass this off to you to get it started. Yeah, so just some quick topics that I wanted to mention, some things I really wanted to point out. The first one is is about a team. It's about uh, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Um, they have beaten three ranked opponents in a row. Now, Rutgers, you think of Rutgers, and you don't think of, like, a great basketball program normally. They haven't really been that great um, historically. They had a couple good years, you know, the past few years. I think they won a tournament game here or there. Um, so they've been doing better. Seems like maybe they're on the rise. But this year, they didn't start out so well. Um, but now... They're, they're kind of making their case as a bubble team here. They're kind of doing what um, I'm sure Michigan fans wish that Michigan was doing. You know, here kind of making a good case for themselves to potentially make the tournament. Um, I apparently am struggling to f- uh, find their schedule, but I know that they beat Michigan State. Um, I believe they also beat Purdue. Um, and they beat someone else that's also really good in the Big Ten. So Rutgers is just really doing... Uh, an incredible job. Oh, they beat Wisconsin. So Rutgers, now they're 15-9. They beat Wisconsin, they beat Ohio State, and they beat Michigan State all in the span of a week. Uh, Michigan State was ranked 13th. They beat them by 21 points. We talked about that last week, uh, or at least mentioned it. Rutgers beat Ohio State on Wednesday, who was ranked 16th. And then yesterday, they just beat 14th-ranked Wisconsin. So very interesting here uh, that Rutgers is on a little bit of a run, uh, you know, with Ron Harper Jr., uh, Geo Baker, and the rest of the team doing very well. Next thing that I want to mention is the WCC as a conference because, and, and this is going to kind of lead into talking about mid-majors in general, but the WCC is a conference on the rise. I mean, obviously, we all know how good Gonzaga is, you know, whether you are a hardcore college basketball fan or if you are a casual fan that really just tunes in in March, you know how good Gonzaga is. You know that they were very dominant last year, and, you know, they're really good again this year. You know, they're 21-2. and two. They're undefeated in their conference. They're the number two ranked team in the country. But outside of that, you have St. Mary's, who is ranked 22nd. They just lost to Gonzaga last night, so they might, they might lose the top 25 ranking, but St. Mary's has been very good. They're 20-6. and six. You have San Francisco, who's 21-6. and six. Uh, and you have Santa Clara and BYU uh, behind that. Uh, Santa Clara is 17-9, BYU is 19-8. All of these teams are very competitive. You know, they've played um, some, you know, highly competitive games with high major opponents. You look at uh, BYU, for example. BYU, earlier in the year, went and played Oregon and beat them by 32 points. Um, they played Creighton, and they lost to Creighton, but they played them in a competitive game. They played Utah, who's in the Pac-12, and beat them. So you look at some of these teams in the WCC, you have now five teams that are pretty decent and can all be competitive with, you know, some of these really good power conference, you know, teams. And the WCC, I mean, I think they should get two, three, um, I don't know about four teams in, but I think they should probably get three teams in because of how uh, good they are. And we've talked about, like, conferences in the past, um, and how, like, ACC is a little bit, you know, on the decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, the WCC is one of these conferences that is on the rise. So, Ben, ben I'm going to go to you. What, what do you kind of think about that? What do you think about hearing that the WCC has all these, you know, solid teams now? And, and what do you think, uh, I guess, kind of these shifts in the conference dynamics means for college basketball? Like, like what, do you, what do you think about that? So, I, I have two opinions on that real quick. Well, actually, I have three. One... 
I think first of all, having these mid-major conferences be be relevant is really good for the sport of basketball. Okay, because again, we're not ACC guys, but I think the ACC being down, or even any of these major conferences being down, and getting more of these teams that we don't typically see. I say this all the time for any sport. That's good for the sport. Okay, because that allows more fans, more people to be involved in just in general what's going on. Um, so. Any mid-major conference or anything like that, the Missouri Valley's had, you know, obviously had some good years. The Mountain West, wherever, maybe the Atlantic Ten, whatever. That's good for basketball, and you see teams like that, and and multiple teams, not just a Gonzaga, but multiple teams from that conference, um, being relevant on on the national landscape, not just in their regional markets or whatever. Okay. In terms of the the, the West Coast Conference, I have two opinions on that on the, them, and I think the reason Trevor, why a lot of people maybe haven't realized how good they are because like you said you made a great point they have not like one or two teams they have three or four or five teams that are good okay they, they are good basketball teams um and i think one of the reasons why they don't get the respect is they're on the west coast okay they're on the west coast people don't watch their games okay that's 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 the obvious answer no duh okay that they, they play at nine o'clock at night their time which might be midnight here or you know 11 o'clock where you are trevor but my other opinion is when we think of the west coast conference you're going to think of gonzaga and for a lot of these teams, the only time that we're ever going to watch them play, okay, no offense to San Francisco, no offense to San Diego, but I've never watched them play unless they're playing Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. So the only time that we ever really get to see these teams for the most part is when they're playing Gonzaga. So we, we develop an opinion and a belief that, oh, well, that whole conference sucks because the only time right. we watch them is when they're losing by 40 points to Gonzaga on ESPN in their gym that might seat 3,000 people. So... I just think they don't get the respect because of Gonzaga's dominating. But spoiler, Gonzaga would be dominating not by to that extent, but they'd be winning conference championships in any conference they're in. Okay, it's not like they're playing. I mean, yeah, they're playing teams that aren't as great as the ACC teams, but they'd be winning the ACC too. Spoiler. Okay, but we develop we develop this opinion. They have this reputation of oh well, it's a bunch of scrubs and then Gonzaga. It's just not true. And if people were to watch more of games that don't include Gonzaga in that conference, more of the BYU games, more of the San Francisco games, I think more people would understand that it's a good conference and there's some great basketball playing. In, in, on that part of the country. Um, and I think people are going to start to realize that as we get closer to March and as maybe more people pay attention to their conference tournament and then whatever teams uh, make the big dance, I think they will grow in recognition and people will start to give them the respect that they've deserved for a while now because of those different variables that are into play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's fun to watch. Um, and I, I definitely need to try to catch a couple more West Coast Conference games. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple quick, you know, just quick teams in as far as mid-majors that I think could you know, potentially make some noise in the tournament. The first one I'm going to mention is Davidson. Uh, Davidson's 20-4. and four. They're in Atlantic 10, which Atlantic 10, another conference, you know, kind of like the WCC. They're not as good this year, but in general, the, the Atlantic 10 has been pretty good uh, for the last, you know, five, six years, however long it's been. Uh, next team I want to mention is Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming, to me, has been a big surprise. I, I had don't really know anything about Wyoming. I'm not sure why they're so good, but they are. They're 21 and three. They play in the Mountain West Conference, uh, and they're 10 and one uh, in their conference. So Wyoming, definitely a team to watch out for. They're kind of competing with two other pretty solid teams in the Mountain West, in Boise State and Colorado State. Um, so they're they're an interesting team. Uh, the next one is Iona. Um, Iona is an interesting team as well. They uh, upset Alabama earlier in the season. Um, you know, they're just really solid. They're in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, which isn't really, you know, a very good conference, but they are 19-5, uh, you know, just another solid team. Um, last thing that I kind of wanted to get into was two just general things that happen in college basketball. We have the first of which is court storming, which we saw a few instances of this week. We saw Texas 
storm the court or storm the floor, I should say, storm the floor um, against Kansas when they were at home, ranked twentieth. They beat Kansas. We also saw Arkansas do the same thing when they beat uh, number one ranked Auburn. Um, so I wanted to, Brennan, I'm, I'm going to go to you on this. In general, when when do you think it is appropriate uh, to do a, a court storm? So here's the thing. It's got to be either, there's a couple of situations. Unranked versus a ranked team, where the unranked team is at home, obviously. I think that's cool. So even if it's, I mean, like, if it's Michigan unranked versus Ohio State ranked 25, maybe not. But, like, if it's, like, Murray State against Villanova, and Villanova is number 25, I'm cool with the court storm. I'm cool with the court storm if it's a top five team, pretty much in any circumstance. Now, if it's number six versus number five, don't court storm. But if it's, like, 25 versus three, I'm cool with the court storm. I think it's got to be a certain circumstance. So the, what was the example you gave before the pod? Texas and who? And what so were they so Texas and Kansas played, I believe, on Monday. And Texas is ranked 20th. They're playing at home. And they beat 8th ranked Kansas, 79 to 76. Okay, and that's by the ridiculous. way, and also Texas was like a preseason top 10 team. You know, they were. Exactly, exactly. That's ridiculous. No court storming. Come on, Texas. we got to be better than that. You can't be court strong. That that game. That what's the line to that game? The line's probably like three and a half or something. It's it's probably Texas, not even that big. Texas was at home, so they might have been favored. I'm not sure, but they might have they might have been favored. I mean, even calling that an upset is like I don't know. It's hard for me to call that an upset. But but do you disagree with anything I said there? So here's my opinion on this court storming. There's two there's two, I guess times that I will allow a court storming, and I'm just thinking of basketball here specifically. Um. The first is, I think, if you are an un- if you're a ranked team, I don't care who you be. I don't care if you're 25 versus one. I don't really want to see you score this score because you're clearly. I mean, you're a ranked team. You're a top 25 team out of 350 or whatever. So you're already a good team. I don't necessarily love that. I only want to see a court storming if you're an unranked team beating a number one, maybe a number two team. I don't want to see an unranked team storm the court when they're beating the number 17 team in the country or whatever. Okay. Shout out to Bowling Green. We beat. I don't know. Yeah. Like they were like Buffalo was like nineteen, and we we stormed the court. Whatever. I don't right. love that. Okay? okay. Whatever. I'm just I'm I'm showing you how objective I'm trying to be. I don't love that. The other time that I will allow it, again, the first time is unranked versus a top one or two, maybe a top five team, whatever. The other time I'll allow it is if it ends on some sort of awesome buzzer beater, right? Okay. So some sort of like I can't believe this. What a game! Like just in the moment, it's like we're going, we're storming the court because that I get that. Like, you know, uh, what's the game? It was. Kentucky, Indiana, right? Indiana. 2011 or whatever that it was. was awesome. Christian Watford or whatever his name was. That yeah. awesome game. That was like at the buzzer, three for the win, go. Okay? But other than those two instances, I don't love to see Storm in the court. I think it's cool, and I'm not saying it's not cool. It's awesome. It's cool. That's a cool story to say you were there. But I think now it's becoming so common to where it's just not as magical and it's not as special as it once was. Yeah. So I, I think in general I agree with you. I think you're a little bit more strict than me because I was going to ask you about the BG game. I was going to be like, was it appropriate for our students to to storm the court against Buffalo? No. And I was gonna I not was gonna fan. say I was okay with it, uh, but you disagree. I disagree, and I'm not, again. I was there. I, it was awesome. I loved yeah. it. One of my favorite memories of Bowling Green. But if we're being honest, it's I don't know. I think it's kind of I don't want to say pathetic because that's me, but it kind of is pathetic in my opinion. Okay. All right. So yeah, I mean, I mostly agree with you. Court storming definitely, you know, should have rare instances. I mean, that Indiana Kentucky one was so good. Um, 
the only other thing I wanted to mention, I'll just mention it quick. Uh, we get, we've get we had a lot of these overrated chants for, like, best players. Like, you know, Jaden Ivey for Purdue. He's at the free throw line, and you have the opposing fans, uh, you know, doing the overrated chant while they're down, you know, 10, 15 points. We've seen this over and over again. It's like, what, what are you doing? Like, student sections of these, you know, of these colleges, of these teams. Why? First of all, if you're going to chant overrated, the player needs to be having a bad game. He has to be playing. He has to be having a bad game. He has to be, you know, having a bad shooting night. And you can't be losing. You have to be winning, and yeah. and the player has to at least be having a bad game for it to even be reasonable, you know. Um, and then even even then, it's still like I feel like it's in certain certain circumstances. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, student sections get it together. You know, stop with the overrated chance. I don't don't think they're effective. I don't think they mean anything. I think it's just strange. Uh, you hey know, Trevor, in, my, in yeah. my opinion, real quick, I just think when I hear overrated, it just makes me feel like you're acknowledging that the person or the team that you're playing is better. It's good, yeah, yeah. It's good. Like you're just right. acknowledging that they're good, or the. And I get it, like you might be beating them or whatever. But all all it's saying is like, oh, Alabama's overrated. It's like you're just saying, yeah, we know that they're way better than us. And it's like <laughs> I don't know, I don't love that. Chat. I've never loved it. Basically, you're just you know you're trying to you're trying to get attention. I don't like it. Uh, just yeah. you know, j- just want to mention some games uh, upcoming week, and then we'll move on. Uh, Kentucky and Tennessee are playing on Tuesday. Um, that should be a really good one. We got Villanova and Providence. Providence has been a, a big surprise this season. I think they're twenty one or twenty one and two. I want to say so. That's a good one in the Big East. Uh, we have um, let's see. I, I put about five games on here. I didn't mean to do that. Um, we have Texas Tech Baylor. That's the third one I'll mention. I think that one's going to be a very good game as well. Alrighty, well, let's keep on moving along, go to Small Talk Trivia. Of course, what is our current scoreboard on Trivia this week? Yeah, so Brandon, you're in the lead. Uh, you have 11 points. I have 10. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I'm, I'm in what? <laughs> uh, I don't need to say it again. I, I have 10 points. I'm in the lead. And, and Ben uh, has 9 points. Alright, well, here's the, the order for today. Uh, just as a reminder, this is completely random. I do use randomizer each week. Uh, ben is asking me a question. I'm asking Trevor a question. Trevor, of course, is asking Ben then. So, Ben, you're up first with my question. All right, Brandon. My question has to do with the NBA, specifically NBA All-Star voting. Nice. All right? Okay. So, this is not the question, but Brandon, do you happen to know who got the most votes this year in the NBA All-Star game? Um, I, I, I believe I, I believe it was LeBron. If it wasn't LeBron, of it course. was KD. No, of course. It was LeBron. I just wanted, I wanted to give you a little layup there because I know you like LeBron. Right. LeBron's won like the last six or seven years in a row. Okay, but my question to you is, other than LeBron, because again, he's won like the last six in a row, who is the last player to lead the NBA in all-star voting for more than two years? So three or more years, who is the last player to do that? LeBron's done it again recently since 2017. But who is the last player to do that other than LeBron? To, to lead the NBA in all-star voting for two, or I guess more than two years, so three or more. Interesting. Um... Okay, so let me think. I mean, I feel like Kobe is a is a relatively safe guess. Um, but did he do it back-to-back years? So you're saying... Or not back-to-back, I'm two saying times. three or more. It has to be three or more years. Back-to-back? Back-to-back-to-back. Back-to-back-to-back. to do it. To do at least three years mm-hmm. in a row. Uh, I mean, I feel like Kobe is a, is a good guess. But the thing is, is he played, for the most part, during LeBron's era uh, I feel like it's gotta be Kobe I, I feel like Kobe's the safe answer here I mean I guess Jordan is also I, I'm sure so you're saying it's just the last player because I'm sure Jordan's done it the, the most yeah the most recent player to win three or more in a row 
I guess I shouldn't be saying this. I, I, I always forget when I do these that there's someone answering after me. I, I'll say Kobe Bryant. Final answer. All right, Brandon. Kobe Bryant is incorrect. Ooh. Trevor, you got a chance to steal for half a point. Who is the last player to win at least three consecutive all-star voting titles, we'll call it. Most votes in the all-star game. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and vo- I, voting you want all-star me to, title. You, no, actually, I won't. I was going to preface this with some – I'm not going to do it because I didn't do it to Brandon. It's not fair. Never mind. Continue. That should be that should be on like the resume. It should be on the basketball reference page. It's like this player has seven straight uh, NBA All Star voting titles. Um, yeah. yeah, very interesting. So you said LeBron has has what six or seven straight? What did, what did I you think say? he has six straight? I think he is twenty seventeen to now seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one twenty two. Yeah, six straight. Okay, okay. So he is six straight. And your question is, who is the the player before LeBron that had at least that had three in at a least row? three? Yeah. Okay. So Brandon helped me because Kobe w- was one of the names I was thinking of, obviously. Um, if it's not Kobe, I have a hard time imagining that it's anyone other than Michael Jordan because Steph didn't have three in a row. Um, Kevin Durant didn't have three in a row. Like, Kev- like Kevin Durant may have won it once or twice or may have, may have had the most votes. Although, to be honest, I don't even know if he, he would have. Maybe like once. Maybe in his MVP season he did. But, like, LeBron probably also had... Like, LeBron probably did it in, like, 2012, 2013, stuff like that. He was probably the most back then. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's got to be MJ. Uh, I'm just making, I'm just trying to cover my bases here and make sure that it's not anyone else. Uh, like, could Shaq have had three straight? Maybe, right? Like, Shaq was very dominant. You look at, like, 1999, 2000, 2001. It could have been Shaq. Because the league, as far as talent, once MJ retired, I think comparatively the league had less talent overall than it does now, right? Uh, well, obviously, right? This this is probably the most talented the league's ever been. So it's yeah. possible that it's Shaq, but I don't think so. I think there's a good chance that someone got more votes one of those years and that he didn't get three in a row. So I think the safe uh, the safe go to answer is MJ. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, if it's MJ, this is kind of an easy question, but maybe you were just being nice today, Ben. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Michael Jordan. That's my final answer. All right, Trevor. Michael Jordan is incorrect. And come on, Trevor. I, I'm losing. I'm not going to make this that easy. No, Michael Jordan did have seven in a row from 88 to 93 or 94, something like that. Okay. okay. 87 to 93. Yeah. But – you guys kind of – it's kind of in between the, your two thought process. Brandon was thinking, eh, pre-Kobe retiring, so that could be anywhere from, I don't know, 05 to 15, something like that. And Trevor was thinking more 90s with Jordan. It's actually – and Trevor, you were kind of on the right track. Post-Jordan, just the beginning of post-Jordan. Vince Carter for three years, 2000, 2001, 2002. Really? Wow. He, the wow. last time that you had – he was the last person to win three in a row. Um, and honestly, other than that, Yao Ming's the only other person to win it two times in a row. Kobe never won it twice in a row. Steph never won it twice in a row. Vince LeBron Carter. has won it seven in a row, but before that, he never won it twice in a row. So, honestly, winning Dang. winning in consecutive years is rare. It doesn't happen. Jordan did it, LeBron did it, and a couple other players. But it, LeBron, what LeBron's doing right now is not normal, winning seven in a row. That just doesn't ever happen other and than And maybe that's more telling than we think. I was going to say, like, how really telling is this, like, actual – it's a great question, Ben. But I was like, how telling is this actually to, like, how good a player is? But I digress. Let's move yeah. on here, Trevor. It's my turn to ask you a question. Very simply put, what player has averaged the most minutes per game in a single season? Okay. And this dates back 
I mean, as far as I can see, like, it's it's far. Okay. What is that? That's a relative term. What is that? What yeah. Is can, uh, like, the earliest number I see on here is, like, the 50s. Oh, man. Okay, I was thinking further than that. Okay. Okay. Has averaged the most minutes per game in a in, like, just in general, in a season. In a se single season. In a single season. Average the most minutes. Yeah. And you know what? You know oh, what? I'm throwing you guys a bone today. This he, is difficult. This player has the top seven spots, and they're all back-to-back-to-back-to-back years, pretty much. Okay. So, again, if I'm wrong, I guess I can't give too much of the thought process here. No, go ahead. Um, man, this this is a hard question. You, you're telling me it's back-to-back-to-back. It's back to back. I guess it helps, but it still doesn't give me any clear answer that's for sure um okay it limits it definitely limits the number of players i was considering i guess it, i guess to some degree so they did it okay so most minutes per game in a season and you said they the hint was that they did it in what seven consecutive seasons is that what you said pretty much pretty much it's, it's not exactly consecutive not exactly. but it's but they were they were up there they always played a ton of minutes okay yeah yeah Okay, um, so there's really, there's really two names. Well, yeah, I think there's really two, I don't know, this, this is difficult. Um, I thought you'd get this. Most minutes per game. I got most faith in you. Minutes per game. So he, so, and I guess this is a hint, but whatever. It's it's gonna be a player that played a long time ago. I know that for sure. Okay. It's gonna it's definitely gonna be a player that played a long time ago, um, because there were I mean players nor like it was normal for a player to play every minute in every game back then. Like that happened okay. pretty often. Um, so it, I have a few names. Okay. But it's, it's just like down to one amongst the names. Who is it gonna be? I'm gonna go with my gut on this one. I'm just gonna say it's Bill Russell. That it's just like the name that's been at the forefront of my mind. So, okay. and and again, you said it started in the '50s. Uh, no, no, no. It, like, dating like back early... to the '50s. It's it's not necessarily in the '50s. Right, right. I, all but I like, said was the earliest year I see on this list, like one through fifty or whatever they have on here. The but like, is like '50s. But like it's like the early '50s. Like, just can you give me like, a, is it early early '50s? It's the earliest person I see on here. Uh, is 51 okay, is the earliest yeah, yeah. season? Yeah. yeah, Bill Russell. That's my answer. Okay. Bill Russell is incorrect. Benny, it goes to you. All right, so Bill Russell is the first name I thought of. Um, but then Brennan's hint. So Brennan said, you know, this hint of whatever, it was seven in a row or something like that. Uh, that's an absurd stat, and there's only one player that I associate with when I hear absurd stats, and that's Wilt Chamberlain. So I'm going to go Wilt Chamberlain. Well, Chamberlain is correct, Ben. There we go. Great job. Yeah, that was my um, So half up. a point awarded to you. He averaged 48.52 minutes per game in the 61-62 season. He holds the top seven numbers, and I believe yeah. they're pretty much all right in a row. Pretty much. They're, they're I mean, that's not... an absurd stat. And he and he's like the king of having just these ridiculous stats where it's him and then nobody else. Yeah, for like 10 years, he holds like 10 of the top like 17. It's pretty I mean, crazy. if you were a coach, would you take him off the floor? I wouldn't take him off no. the floor. No. no way. All right, Trevor, goes to you. Uh, question for Ben. That's rough. Um, I should have gotten that one, but oh well. Um, okay, so my question is a Super Bowl history question for you, Ben. 
Oh, um, I love it. So love here it, it is. Um, who is the quarterback that has that has the most career passes intercepted in the Super Bowl? That, that that's it. That's the question. So Trevor, I, oh man, that's a tough. So it's okay. So most career interceptions in a Super Bowl. No, in a, in, that, in their Super Bowl history, in in totality. So this this encompasses this, in this player's career, they yes. have thrown the most Super Bowls in Super Bowl history and throughout it, mul- more than have, one game. Obviously, they have thrown the most Super Bowl interceptions. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So it's got to be somebody that's played more than one. Um, I would assume unless somebody's thrown seven in a game or something. But man, Trevor. Okay. So obviously, like you know, Tom Brady's been in ten Super Bowls. So that's the first one I think of. But I don't necessarily. He hasn't thrown a bunch of interceptions. I mean, he threw one against the Falcons. I can remember. I don't remember if he threw any any against like the Eagles or whatever or the Rams. Um, but again, I don't. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But I feel like Tom Brady's too easy. And yes, every trivia question ever is Tom Brady's the answer. But I feel like that's too easy. Okay, so now I'm thinking of quarterbacks that have played multiple Super Bowls. Obviously, you got, I don't want to say names, but okay, but I got a, a guy in the 80s I can think of. I got a guy in the mm-hmm. 90s. I, I got a couple guys in the 90s I can think of. Um, in terms of Super Bowl appearances, I got a, a guy in the early 2000s, had a couple, but I don't know if I want to guess him. Uh, ben, in the later just because I want to put a little extra pressure on you, you know I, the answer, I know uh, the right answer. How do you know the right answer? Was it on Twitter? No, I just know this. How do you know it? I don't know. Brandon, Miss it, Trevor, and you'll Trevor, find out. Trevor, you should have you should have checked Twitter before you asked this question. I don't, okay. I don't know this from Twitter. Um, I'm not I, sure I if he actually knows. I don't know. Man. I, I mean, guess maybe he does so, happen to know it. I mean, Peyton Manning's been in three. How many Super Bowls have been in three? You know, Ben, because I, I want um, good juju for you today. I'll give you a clue. Okay, I believe this quarterback's played in the second most Super Bowls behind Tom Brady. I believe, Trevor. You can fact check me, but I believe that is correct. That doesn't even help me, dude. I don't I, freaking know. I think you're right. Montana won. Montana won five. I'm not sure. Or it could four. be Brady Montana though. Four. I'm aware. I'm thinking. Okay, so now I guess I can say names. So I was thinking I, Montana. I don't think won you. Four. Aikman's got three. Ben, I don't think that hint helped you at all. I think that hint might have hurt you. Yeah, no. So I would just don't totally have. disregard Brent. it. To be honest with you. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm, I'm calling. I'm calling some sort of collusion on he's this. Try, he, yeah, he's Brand trying to, trying he's to help trying me to out, but he's, he's secretly making it worse. So I actually, I, act, I swear to God, I, I was trying to be helpful. I was actually. Brandon has helpful. no right to be talking right now. This is my. All right, let's, let's get a final um, answer here. I know. I don't. Dude, I don't know. Montana Aikman. I mean, Farve only played in one or two. two ah, this is so hard. And I love this question, too. This is so hard. It's, it is a really good question. Um, I'm just going to go Joe Montana finally. Uh, no, Joe Montana is incorrect. Um, Joe Montana was, was very, uh, very good in Super Bowls. I don't think he had many interceptions. He's not even in the top, like, 16 on this list, actually. Uh, Brandon, um, this question goes to you for half a point. I'm fairly confident. I put it at 98% confidence that it is John Elway. And yes, unfortunately, you would be correct. Uh, John Elway in five games. Uh, I didn't in, think of him. Yeah. In, in five Super Bowls, I believe, John Elway I believe has. Brady has six interceptions. Yeah, Brady has six. Brady has six. Yeah. John Elway has eight in five games. Okay, I thought he had seven. I'm going to be honest. I thought he had so seven. How do you know that? I just when know have we it. Ever... No, you don't just. Elway's know played that. in, I think, five or four Super Bowls. He's, he's, he's won two and he's lost three. Yeah, it's not something yeah. somebody just knows. But he hasn't been good that. in those Super Bowls. He, That's yeah, how I know he, it. He's had he a couple bad performances. Did you have you seen those Super Bowls? I've never watched them. I did, how do you? Know I haven't watched them. I just know it. Okay, I didn't even think of Elway. That's on me. I, I don't know why he. I didn't even think of his name. <laughs> All right, well let's let's keep it moving here. We're going back to some randomly ranked. Trevor, 
came up with this topic today for Randomly Ranked. Uh, for those who don't know what Randomly Ranked is, this is where we take a completely random topic and we rank it top three style. Um, and speaking of styles, very great topic. I'm super excited for this one today. I'm excited for the hot takes. Um, it is styles of pizza. So, no, this doesn't mean pepperoni versus sausage pizza. Um, it means the actual type style of pizza. You know, we got your New York style, Chicago deep dish. Uh, we got California style. So many different types of styles. And I'm actually going to go first today. I'm very excited for this. Um, so, number three... I'm going to have to go with New Haven style pizza. It's a little bit like, you know, your margarita Neapolitan type, according to this article that I am reading. Um, supposedly, New Haven, Connecticut has the best type of pizza. I have never had pizza from there. However, I have had New Haven style pizza, and it is quite good. Uh, number two, I got to go with New York Thin Crust. Uh, I mean, simple as that. Thin I love Thin Crust pizza. That might be a hot take among uh, the guy that lives in Chicago and the guy that loves Chicago. Um, I think that we will have a lot of deep dish love uh, on this podcast, but not for me. I'm not a deep dish guy. I like thin crust pizza. And my final answer, and it's really not even that close, is Neapolitan style pizza or margarita pizza. It's my absolute favorite. I love the basil. I love the, the uh, mozzarella like chunks, slices instead of shredded. Uh, it, it's a fabulous pizza. Very oily. Really, really delicious. Um, ben, let's go to you next. What is your top three types of pizza? So, um, this is tough because there's really only like one type of pizza I really, really like. Uh, but I, I have a top three. So, my number one is going to be Detroit-style pizza. I like Detroit-style pizza. Um, I don't love it, but it's okay. I mean, I, I have to be in the mood for it because it, it fills you up really, really quickly, right? So, you got to be in the mood to, to eat like two slices and be done. Um, that, and a thick pizza like that is what it does. It fills you up really, really quickly. So, you got to be in the mood. So, I'll put that number three. Don't love it, but it's whatever. Um, Number two, I'll go Neapolitan like you, Brandon. You know what this reminds me of when I when I see this picture and the way to describe it, describe it, it kind of reminds me of Blaze, like the pizza you get at Blaze. Yeah. Where you yeah. Know, they put the they put the chunks of mozzarella. They it takes you know not that long. They throw it in the in the the fire the fire oven. They take it out. Kind of looks like that. So I, I love that. Shout out LeBron James. Shout out Blaze Pizza. Um, that's my number two. My number one. It's not even close, Brandon. Not even close. Okay. I would eat this literally 365 days a week. Mm -hmm. New York style pizza, the greatest pizza. Really? Of all time. It's I fantastic, thought... dude. I, yeah, I did not fantastic. think New York would be – I agree with you. I love New York style The best. Pizza. And the one slice that's as big as my head, you fold it. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Dude, it's the best the, pizza the, the, ever. The it's, little bit of flop you get, the cheesiness, yeah, the, the oil, the grease. Dude, I agree it, completely. It's it's. I mean, it's not even close. It's it's not debatable. It's the best pizza ever. It's fantastic. I agree. All right, Trevor, I'm, I'm excited to hear whatever hot take you got, so let's hear it. All right, so there's going to be a theme in my top three. I'm normally a very healthy person. I eat a lot of healthy things. I, mm -hmm. you know, have but a lot Trevor, of why don't you tell habits. the viewers what you're getting today for the Super Bowl, Mr. Healthy? Um, what what did you tell us before the podcast? I'm getting wings and pizza, and I'm probably getting... <laughs> all, uh, I'm so jealous. And it's all for myself, an entire pizza. It's a decent amount of wings. Um, hey, I yeah. love it. I love that energy. But yeah, let's hear awesome. your three, your top three. Yeah, it's, it's a cheat day. Um, so, yes, the theme is that all three of these pizzas are going to be very dense and just the mm. amount of food, they're going to be very calorie heavy. Um, yeah. So with number three, I'm starting off with Meat Lover's Pizza. Just a solid, typical Meat Lover's Pizza. It's incredible. You get the bacon, sausage, ham, I mean, some pepperoni. Like, it's just, it's just awesome. Um, number two, I'm going to go with Stuffed Pizza. Now, 
Um, I might as well, you know, I might as well just give my number two, my number one. Um, I have number two, I have stuffed pizza. Number one, I have uh, like deep dish, which is mm-hmm. typically, you know, people think Chicago deep dish. Chicagoans actually have a debate internally about what is actually the, the Chicago pizza. But um, some people say it's tavern, but whatever. I don't know. But stuffed and deep dish are both, they both have a lot of calories. They're both very dense. Um, now there is a difference. Stuffed pizza, right, has like this extra layer of dough, uh, extra layer of cheese. Um, and then the deep dish obviously is where the pan, you know, the, the crust is higher, obviously. Um, they're both just really good. It, it's just both like, it's, it's more than just eating pizza. It's more than just the taste. It's an experience. You know, you feel like you've been taken to a different place when you are eating stuffed pizza and deep dish pizza. And I think that's really all that needs to be said. You know, they're just that good. Yeah. I actually have a hot take. I'm going to end this, this segment on this hot take. A really great pizza needs almost no toppings. Just cheese. It's all you need. If it's really good. If it's not really good, you need toppings. Let's move on, though. Go to the NBA. We just hit the NBA trade deadline. A lot of crazy trades. Trevor and I often debate about uh, which league is better between the NFL and NBA. This is definitely one thing the NBA's got over the NFL. The trade deadline is awesome. It's so fun. You're on your phone looking at what Woj bomb is going to come next. Trevor, let's start this right off. Biggest trade was the Harden and Simmons trade. I want you to break this trade down and your thoughts. I, if anyone follows you on Twitter, which everyone should follow Trevor on Twitter. Trevor, what's your Twitter? Shout out your Twitter. Uh, my handle? I think it's Trevor Reddick 12 I'm pretty sure. Yes, we, everyone go follow Trevor on Twitter. Yeah. But he gave extensive thoughts on the, the, the Sixers and Nets trade. But why don't you break it down on the podcast for us here to start? Yeah, so Harden, uh, Harden Simmons trade. You know, we were wondering there were a bunch of rumors flying. Are they gonna get it done? Is it gonna happen? Is Daryl Morey's patience gonna finally pay off? Where he seems like, oh, he, I'm only gonna give up Simmons if I can get a superstar back. And his patience did pay off. You know, I, I didn't really agree with him being so patient. I thought, you know, like you can't waste a prime year for Joel Embiid. You need to get a trade done, even if it's for like. You know, if you if even if you can get like CJ McCollum and another piece from the Blazers, a couple picks, like that's better than that's better than nothing. You know, that's better than wasting another prime year of Joel Embiid. But I got to give it to Daryl Morey. Um, he did get it done. He got James Harden. I think maybe there's a little bit of luck attached because you can't always count on a superstar uh, being so unhappy that they pretty much force their way out of a team, which James Harden has now done two years in a row. But thus, he got it done. Um, as far as what I think about this trade, which I didn't even mention the entire details of the trade, uh, in this trade, the 76ers uh, got James Harden and Paul Millsap, uh, and the Nets got Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks, one that is in this year's draft, 2022, and one that is in uh, the 2027 draft. So, first of all, for the Nets, I think this is pretty incredible. I mean, I when, you just, when you just think about the situation, like Harden, if he didn't get traded— All of the things that I was reading, all of the rumors that were coming out, made it pretty evident that Harden was leaving Brooklyn anyway. So if Harden has to, so if all of the reports and rumors are that Harden's leaving, you you need to find a trade partner. You you need to find a trade partner. You need to try to get uh, some value back. And to get Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, uh, Drummond doesn't really matter as much. He's not really that good anymore. But getting Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and a couple picks, that's pretty incredible value um, for someone who is about to leave your team. I mean, Ben Simmons 
on this team, I think it's going to be a really good fit because he doesn't need the ball. In fact, he doesn't really want the ball. Um, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant very much do want the ball. So Ben Simmons is, you know, he's known as a really good passer. I think he's going to be someone that's going to set them up and he's going to have no problem, you know, just standing around, you know, maybe making cuts to the basket here or there while Kyrie and Kevin Durant do their thing. And then on the defensive end, Ben Simmons is probably the best defender in the NBA when it comes to one-on-one defense on wings or guards. You know, he's he's really good at that. He did a really good job on Kawhi when they played the Raptors a couple years ago. He, he's done a really good job on, you know, some of these wings and guards defensively. And then you also get Seth Curry, who I really like, uh, a great shooter, obviously, um, you know, just really helps the floor spacing. You know, the Nets didn't really have, um, like, like Joe Harris, for example, they were counting on him to be this like floor spacing guy that would really mm-hmm. step up in the playoffs. He, you know, Joe Harris, we saw how he did in the playoffs last year. Didn't do so hot. I think Seth Curry is going to be able to step in and actually be what the Nets thought Joe Harris was going to be. So I really like that for Brooklyn. I think this definitely uh, raises their ceiling a little bit and it extends their window. They now have more flexibility. Even yeah. if you know they don't win the championship this year, they still have next year and maybe a couple of years beyond that. For the 76ers, it's risky. I do like it. I still like it, but it is risky, you know, with James Harden. As I mentioned at the top, he's forced his way out of two teams now. Who's to say if Philly falls short and loses in the Eastern Conference semis or the Eastern Conference finals that next year, if they start off bad, James Harden's not going to want to leave next year. I, I mean, I'm just saying we can't we can't rule it out. But on paper, with the basketball fit, I think Harden and Simmons – is going to be um, a pretty uh, strong dynamic duo. I mean, Embiid is the most dominant player in the game right now. He's probably the favorite for MVP. And James Harden, you know, at, usually at times when he's at his best, is a very good passer, very good scorer, uh, one-on-one in isolation. And I think that combination can be deadly. Um, now, is he going to be the player that we saw at times last year for Brooklyn? Um, during the regular season that we saw a couple years ago when Houston was, you know, challenging the Warriors? Or is it going to be the player that we've seen so far this season where he's not as efficient, you know, he's he's getting frustrated with some of the foul calls, and he has these weird nights where he's not mm-hmm. shooting a lot. He has like four points. So what James Harden are we going to get? I think we're going to get the good James, version of James Harden because I think he's finally happy. He's in a situation he wants to be in, and this makes the 76ers better. So overall, I think it's good for both teams, but it's better for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Brandon, did you have any thoughts on this trade? Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't see the vision for the Sixers, really. I, I see what you're saying. I believe in what you're saying, but I really think this was a big win for the Nets. You got a guy out of there that didn't want to be there. You're getting a guy that wanted out of the place he was in with a ton of other really great assets and draft picks that they could look to move in the future. I, I think this is a complete win for the Nets. Really, really big win. Uh, but let's get to a couple of the other trades because we had some some interesting ones. Trevor, can you explain to me what are the Kings doing uh, with the Sabonis trade? Okay, What's so the King, so the Kings trade, right? So we had a lot of uh, Twitter reactions, a lot of, and I think kind of overreactions, um, frankly, that were just completely appalled by the Kings doing this. Like, how could you get rid of Halliburton and then you get back Sabonis, acting like Sabonis like isn't really a good player? I think. I think it's been an overreaction. Now, I also agree that how could you give up Tyrese Halliburton? I love Tyrese Halliburton. Um, he's you know he's also just like a, a great guy. He's often on uh, JJ Reddick's podcast, so mm-hmm. I hear him there. And then he's also a, a young, uh, potentially star in the making that you know has been a really good three point shooter. Uh, just 
a, a really great player that can fit on a lot of teams in Halliburton with his ball handling, uh, his ability to pass the ball, and then again, like I said, his his three point shooting is really good. And he's you know he's tall, he's lengthy, he has some defensive potential. So Halliburton was probably I don't know if he was necessarily the best player on the Kings now. I know other people are saying that, um, but he certainly was definitely the Kings player with the most potential on that team. I mean, compared to De'Aaron Fox, a guy who is not a very good shooter. Uh, not a good, not a very good defender. Halliburton clearly has more potential, and for the Kings, you would have thought that they would be looking to build around Tyrese Halliburton. At least that's what I thought. That's what you know the general public and you know all the analysts thought, right? So in that sense, not a good move from the Kings. Um, but they did get back Sabonis, who is a really solid player, um, can do a lot of things, rebounds for you, can score. Uh, obviously, you know he's a very good passer as well. Um, not not the greatest shooter though. So when you look at the Kings lineup now, losing Halliburton, and they also lost Buddy Heald too, they now have essentially no good shooters. Like you have Darren Fox, you have Davion Mitchell, you have Devonis Sabonis. Like none of these guys, and I guess Harrison, Harrison Barnes is a pretty good shooter, but I guess Harrison Barnes is the only f- decent shooter you have outside of that. They have really no shooting. So it's, it's definitely a strange move from the Kings. I guess I just wouldn't overreact in the same way that everyone else did. Uh, but for the Pacers, good deal. Um, obviously, Sabonis and Miles Turner was not a very good fit. You get back Halliburton. You have Buddy Heald. Um, we'll see what they do with some of these other pieces. Like, they have Malcolm Brogdon, who I would assume they probably are going to look to trade now. Um, you know, and obviously, Chris Duarte has been really good as a young player. So, good mm-hmm. deal for the Pacers overall, I would say. Yeah, very, very interesting. I, I just don't get what the Kings are doing exactly, but we'll, yeah. we'll move on here. Uh, any other trades you wanna you wanna talk about before we kind of wrap up the, the the trade deadline segment? Yeah, so there's two more pretty big ones that I will mention quickly. Uh, we did have the Porzingis trade. Uh, the Mavs traded Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Uh, the Mavs also gave up a 2022 second round pick uh, in addition to Porzingis. This one was the weirdest one to me, um, I think, because. Porzingis was actually, like, I know he has a big contract. He hasn't necessarily lived up to what everyone expected him to, but he has been playing better um, with Luka. Um, and in addition, like, if if you if the Mavs really wanted to trade Porzingis, that's fine. But you're telling me the best they could get back was Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans? I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie, so this is another ball handler, a third ball handler now that's coming to Dallas in addition to Luka and Jalen Brunson. I mean, I think the Mavs already have their backcourt. Like, I think they're already good. Like, I think Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic is a really good backcourt. Jalen Brunson's been playing very well this year. So that Spencer Dinwiddie, it's like, okay, so Spencer Dinwiddie's going to come off the bench now? Or, or are you going to have three, like, smaller guards that aren't really that great defensively on the court all at the same time? It doesn't really make sense. And then they take on Davis Bertans, who is supposedly, and this is like the running joke, um, D- Davis Bertans is a sharpshooter. He is known for being a three-point sharpshooter, but only right. shoots like 32% from the field, um, from three. Um, and he has this huge contract that's based around his shooting. So basically, Davis Bertans has the worst contract in the NBA, I would say. Um, and now the Mavs are taking him on. So really, this makes no sense for the Mavericks. I don't understand what they're doing. And for the Wizards, I don't really know if it's all that great either. I mean, Porzingis has potential, but... Are the Wizards trying to – are they trying to, like, win now? Are they trying to get in the play-in and, like, make a run? Like, I, I don't really understand from either side. 
Uh, last trade I wanted to mention, uh, the C.J. McCollum trade. Uh, C.J. McCollum goes to the New Orleans Pelicans, um, obviously, for Josh Hart. I'm trying to find the details of this trade. I know it included Josh Hart and a few other guys, but I think this one's interesting. Okay, so here, here's the full details. Uh, the Pelicans get C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell, and the Blazers get Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Thomas Sadoransky, um, a guy who I'm not even going to try to pronounce the, the, his name, and then they got a couple uh, pick swaps and then a first-round pick in 2022. So this one, um, I don't know. It, it's interesting. It, from the Pelican side, it seems like weirdly they are trying to put themselves in position to win because if you're getting C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance, to me those are two players that you're getting you know they gave up all these they gave up a pick they gave up two pick swaps mm-hmm. and they gave up young players it seems like they're trying to win i guess with this move which is strange because zion hasn't played a game this season and the pelicans i don't even think are in the plan right now i think they're like the 11 or the 12 seed so i don't really understand it i don't understand what they're trying to do with the pelicans um with the blazers um getting josh hart i do like josh hart i like Nikhil alexander walker uh, you know, and they got some picks, right? So it's clear that the Blazers now, they're rebuilding. We'll see if it's a full rebuild, if they try to get rid of Dame, or if it's like we're just actually trying to build a new team around Dame. I'm not really sure. Uh, so we'll see with that. Um, I don't know. Interesting trade. Not really sure what the Pelicans are doing in terms of direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like McCollum and Nance, but just don't really yeah, understand yeah. the direction of their franchise. So... I was going to say who, you know, won and lost the trade line, deadline, but I feel like we kind of went over it. Is there anything you want to add in terms of winners and losers? I mean, we kind of kind of went over it. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, uh, the Dallas Mavericks lost the trade deadline. They're probably my biggest loser. The Kings might be a secondary pick. Um, and as far as the winner, I think it's the Brooklyn Nets for sure. Um, yeah. You know, they just did a really good job, obviously, as I mentioned. Um, so, yeah, and uh, for my small baller player of the week, uh, DeJounte Murray, I know that's a little, doesn't really transition well into that, but DeJounte Murray, got to shout him out. He's been very good, killing it. Uh, he got an all-star spot as now a, a replacement. So shout out to DeJounte Murray. You know, a lot of people probably don't know a ton about him if you're not a San Antonio Spurs fan. Go check him out. Go watch a Spurs game, and uh, you'll you'll probably enjoy DeJounte Murray. Yeah, no, it's... He's, he's a very, very, very solid player, but I think we'll kind of wrap up the pod there for today. Of course, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoy the new podcast start. Stay tuned for that bonus episode coming on Tuesday. Um, leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the podcast. Of course, follow us on Twitter at the small baller or click the link in the description. But with that being said, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Go Falcons!